we always been taught about money that it's either or. It's either in your pocket, in your checking account type of thing, or it's buying that piece of real estate. And Nelson Nash taught us that banking is a process. It's not about a product. And so just understanding that process of banking, that there's a depositor, a borrower, and then there's the owner of the bank. Infinite banking is about just putting a wall around all three of those entities. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. Today we have on Nick Costco. Nick is a former pilot who knew there was a better way to become financially free and provide for his family. And after interviewing several traditional financial advisors, Nick came across this idea of infinite banking and changed his life for the better. By understanding how banks worked, he understood how he could become his own banker. And Nick was able to establish some passive income streams to exceed his standard of living. Now, as a wealth strategist with Create Tailwind, Nick educates, motivates, and inspires people to take back their control of their money. So there's a lot that we're going to learn from Nick, not only about infinite banking, but real estate and everything that involved with it. So I'm just going to stop there and say, Nick. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Uh, looking forward to uh, talking about what I love the most is uh, how to take back control of our money. Absolutely. Well, we'll start you off with the most difficult question here. What's your favorite ice cream? So there's a, a small regional company called Graders, and they put out a flavor called Mocha Chip, and uh, they don't make a, a serving big enough for me. And Graders, is that like a, I know you're based in Louisville. Is that Louisville based or is that? No, I think they're out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. Can I get some of that in Nashville is my main question. I don't know, but uh, just come up the road up uh, 65. We'll, we'll go find a graders and uh, enjoy a scoop. There you go. Well, I am doing a whole 30 cleanse for January yeah. and awesome. I am day five now. So the, the pain <laughs> is starting to kick in, but we're going to, we're going to switch gears. So I don't have to talk about ice cream and think about it just yet. And just there you go. tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Uh, what do I do today? Well, I, I will tell you that I basically free slaves, I free people from financial slavery. The world, the message is all about giving up control of your money. Uh, Matt, you're going to hear between five and 10,000 ads today. And every one of them is about other people getting control of your money. It's all about money flowing away from you. And I love to show people how to get money to flow to them in an uncommon way. And that's why I get out of bed every day. I love it. I love it. Well, I want to start us off with your real estate journey. And I know we were talking a little bit before the show. Can you tell our listeners, where did your real estate journey begin? Uh, my real estate journey began back in uh, 2004. Um, I, my roommate and I were seriously just poor. <laughs> he was a, a new doc, uh, just opened his own clinic. And uh, I was a, a, a first officer flying a regional jet. I don't even know if I was making 25,000 bucks a year. But we stumbled upon a, a guy who was looking to offload a portfolio of real estate. It was kind of a unique opportunity. My, my roommate uh, was renting space in this little five-plex commercial space. And uh, the, the guy selling it was willing to do owner financing. It was almost like one of these things out of a 2 a.m. commercial, you know, little down, 0%. It wasn't 0% interest. I don't remember the details of it. But uh, we wound up doing it. Um, we put down, I think we each put down like 5,000 bucks. And the deal was in 12 months, we each had to put down another 5,000 bucks. And uh, um, we took down that deal. Um, the, the long story short, short is uh, it, we probably could do a, a graduate level 
course on all the mistakes we made uh, in that uh, came out unbelievably unscathed out of the 08, 09 debacle. And um, uh, that's where I, that's where I started uh, really getting interest in that passive income. Like, what's that look like to build build your your net worth, build the mailbox money? And so really one thing just led to another and all, all things. Was that a commercial unit? It was. Yeah. It was uh, like the last blimpies in Louisville, Kentucky was in there. <laughs> there's a uh, there's, there's now a, a one, one restaurant that is very, very well known in this town, this uh, Mediterranean restaurant called Shiraz. If any, any listeners are uh, in the area, go to Shiraz, but it started as just a, like a, a, a hobby for this guy in one of our locations. And now he's got multiple locations all over town. And um, yeah, so that's what it was. They were actually five freestanding buildings. Um, and so I learned a lot about, you know, <laughs> having five separate structures and the, the perils that come with that. And it was in a historic district and Holy cow, did I learn some hard yep. lessons about that as well. Yeah. How did how did you find that deal? Um, well, my roommate was renting it, was renting in that space. And a lifelong friend of mine, it was his stepdad that owned it. He was he was just kind of starting to offload. And um, I was in a phase of life where I was out trying to meet people, um, figure out a better way coming out of uh, actually getting divorced. And um, I was just turning a turning a page in life. And, um, I would sit down and have lunch with this guy and he's like, Hey, I, I think I want out of this property. And, um, turns out it was probably a better deal for him on paper than it was for us. Uh, but that doesn't really matter. I learned some great lessons from it. Yeah. And uh, owner finance is like one of my favorite strategies, just in the sense of you're working directly with the person that can control and negotiate. And one of the things I love about real estate and finance in general is the creativity you can have behind it. Like I've never heard of somebody saying $5,000 in month one, $5,000 in month 13, and just continuing down that route. Um, do, you yeah. still, do you still own that property today? No. Um we actually uh, divested of that in like 2012, um, had a lot of nice paper returns on it. It probably didn't really cash flow as much. Uh, one of the things I really learned from that, there was a prepayment penalty on it. I won't readily do a prepayment penalty ever again. Um, we actually had some nice, quick offers. Like I could have, like, I, Matt, I'm, I'm kind of going in the way back machine in my brain, but I feel like we paid like 440 for this thing. And six months later, we were offered like 500 or 490 for it, you know, wow. for two, for two guys making maybe 50,000 combined to, to be able to do that uh, would have been the way to go. But I, I don't remember the numbers, but the prepayment penalty was a genuine encumbrance to it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, knowing what I know now, I would have, I would have probably maneuvered a little differently. Um, I would have approached the seller. I would have, uh, you know, just been more forward thinking, but I, I was a little too myopic in that moment. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the key there is just getting started into a specific deal. Um, I like to tell people, as long as you don't lose money on your first deal, you get going and then you get that hit of what real estate and passive income really feels like. And then I know plenty of people that have done multi-million dollars worth of real estate. I know plenty of people that have done zero real estate. I've known no one that has done only one deal in real estate. So as long as you get going and you don't have a big loss, you're going to learn a ton and keep going. So 
you you find these properties or this this commercial unit. You've got five buildings. Where does your real estate journey go from there? Did you continue down the commercial route, or what did it look like? Yeah, so um, I wound up buying a fourplex from that same guy that had a development opportunity adjacent to it. Again, I, I just really kind of sold a bill of goods. <laughs> again, again, that all worked out. I don't own I don't own any of those properties now. But what I was really doing was living in in homes that I was um, flipping. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I pre-kids, I wasn't married at the time. You know, like I bought a duplex, I think right about that same time. Um, you know, I clearly remember this duplex was such a mess. We had razor blades scraping the uh, tobacco tar off of the walls uh, in a very desirable place of Louisville. And um, so I lived in one side of it, renovated the other, then you know, did the thing where you, you renovated the other unit that was a duplex. And then um, I had that as a rental. I wound up selling that at one point. Then my wife and I started building a family and there was a, there was a decent hiatus in there. Um, five, six year hiatus. Um, I, I was, I kind of made a mistake in, in that, Matt, that I was too bearish on the market. You know, 2011, 2012, 2013, through there, I was overly bearish, mm-hmm. um, not really thinking about um, <laughs> how many people we, we keep making that need a home, right? Um, you know, Nelson Nash says in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, he's like, interest rates go up, interest rates go down. There's one common, you know, it's that there's still an interest rate, you know, mm-hmm. people still need to live, right? And uh, so I, I probably got too huddled you know, too hunkered down and didn't really make any good real estate moves. And in hindsight, that probably cost me a lot of money. Right. Um, but I was also going through a journey of that's when I discovered infinite banking. That's when I made a, a, a relationship that without a doubt changed my life. And, um, you know, so that's kind of where we are. And then I would say um, four or five, I don't know, three or four years ago, we started buying some, some other deals and, it's kind of growing from there, starting to get a little exponential in our growth. Yeah. And before we get to the infant banking, I mean, to your point around interest rates go up, interest rates go down and all of that. I mean, I I have equities in my portfolio. I trade derivatives and I do all that kind of stuff. But I think that real estate is the surest path to generational wealth because people are always going to need that place to live. And I think as long as you hold real estate long enough, it will always go up into the right problem, Nick, is I can't tell you how long you have to hold it. You might have to hold it for a century for that to happen. You might have to hold it only for six months and 2020 happens and 2021 home prices go up 30% across the country. Um, But as long as you buy and hold real estate, it's a sure path to multi-generational wealth. You just have to buy and hold. So before we get into the kind of the infinite making part of that, you mentioned some stuff bigger. And I know we were chatting before the show and some of the bigger acquisitions that you were targeting. What are you looking for today? Where are you in your real estate journey? What does kind of the next two to three years look like for you? Yeah, so I'm a huge proponent of who, not how. Dan Sullivan packaged that up uh, years ago. And then he and Benjamin Hardy hooked up last year and wrote a great book or in 2020, uh, actually put it in a bigger form, who, not how. And my passion where I, what gets me out of bed is going to teach an infinite banking. Okay. But I'm also practicing what I preach. And so like, as an example, uh, 2020, we purchased a franchise. My, my partner, Craytail and I, we purchased a franchise, but we have an operating partner in that franchise. I don't do anything with that business. 
on a day-to-day basis. I get like a monthly report from my partner on that. Um, I'm acquiring real estate. I've, we have clients that bring us opportunities on a regular basis. So what I'm doing right now is uh, sponsoring deals. So that's how I'm acquiring real estate right now because I don't have the bandwidth to go uh, you know, generate deal flow. So I'm going to go find the people that are really good at generating deal flow. In fact, uh, the, the guys I'm working with are in your backyard. Um, and so I've made some treks down to Nashville here recently, uh, building that relationship with them. And, and one thing's leading to another. And, and I believe our objective this year will probably about 10 X our holdings, uh, this year, uh, through that partnership. So, uh, from a real estate perspective, that's my approach. Um, if someone brings me a deal, I'm all about looking at it. Um, I'm just not out looking because we've got these other initiatives internally with create tailwind and, uh, and that's what I really enjoy doing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing I'm passionate about too, is just talking to people about how they can get involved in real estate, but not have to do the day-to-day management of being a general partner or owning a single family home. You can get involved in real estate and from a risk reward standpoint, actually, I think it's more beneficial to be in an LP position because you're not having to do the day-to-day management or the legal responsibilities if someone slips and falls because it's snowing six inches of yeah. uh, of snow and ice here in Louisville and Nashville this week. But so I'm going to switch gears now and, and talk a little bit about infinite banking. So I, I think most of our listeners know I'm a huge fan of it. You have to change the way you think about money and the way you understand how money flows before you can truly grasp this concept. But maybe let's start off with just give us a high level. What is infinite banking? If you're trying to sit down with my grandmother and explain it for the first time. Yeah. Einstein said simplicity is elusive, right? (laughs) And uh, most people are just making things entirely too complicated. And infinite banking is about solving one problem, Matt. And that one problem is that you finance everything you buy. And okay. So some people will disagree with this, but let's, let's, let's address it. So it's really easy, Matt, when you pay interest to someone else, you can see that, Right. But where people get messed up, this is where the financial entertainers of the world completely miss the boat. And that is that when you pay cash, you give up the ability to earn interest. Okay. Well, that has a cost to it. If I have money in my good growth stock mutual fund earning me eight to 10%, as some people like to pontificate about, if I take money out of that and pay cash for something, well, that just costs me eight to 10%. Right. So, Infinite banking is about solving, getting all of that interest that I could have earned or am paying to someone else to flow back to me, okay? The other kind of like stumbling block for people is we've always been been taught about money that it's either or. It's either in your pocket, in your checking account type of thing, or it's buying that piece of real estate. And... Nelson Nash taught us that banking is a process. It's not about a product, okay? And so just understanding that process of banking, that there's a depositor, a borrower, and then there's the owner of the bank. Infinite banking is about just putting a wall around all three of those entities. Yeah, I love that. And specifically around the opportunity cost. And that's one thing that is really hard, I think, to to wrap your mind around. For instance, 
we're always told if you buy a car, it's a depreciating asset, unless 2020 or 2021 happens and no one can buy cars. Uh, funny story, I had to buy a car in 2021 just because of some circumstances. And I'm like, wow, what a, what a terrible time to buy a car because used cars are the same as new cars. But um, so I have we're going to buy gonna, two, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> bless you. Bless you. Um, but if you think about it, a car is a depreciating asset. So we're always taught you want to buy cash for that because the second you drive it, off, drive it off the lot, there's no sense in paying interest cost for something that's going down in value. But opportunity cost says, hey, if you pay $20,000 in cash for that car, now all of a sudden that $20,000 is not working for you in a different space. And if you are listening to this type of content, you probably know that you can get 8 to 12 to 15% returns pretty easily on some good assets like real estate or other or other alternatives out there. So why wouldn't you have that $20,000 working at you for 12% interest and just pay the 3% interest that a car would, uh, would cost? Do you have any other examples like that, that maybe um, hit home with some of the, the people you talk to, some of the clients you talk to? Yeah. Well, so just think about it like this is what's important in the financial equation is it the rate or is it the volume okay volume it's volume all right so rate is just a distractor is there really such thing as zero percent interest no. no heavens no okay so i'll give you an example about six seven years ago as as this whole infinite banking thing was unfolding before me there was an ad in the the paper here in louisville and it was for an F, it was a Ford dealership, brand new F-150, $35,000, okay, uh, was the MSRP. And then they had all these discounts, cash, military discount, first responder discount, you know, like dealer credit. It was all the way, all the way down to like $26,000, okay? And then it was the most, the, the most powerful two-letter word in marketing, or, 0% interest for 72 months. And it hit me because once you see this, you cannot unsee it, right? When, once you see how people are getting money to flow to them, you're not turning this off, okay? So I called the dealership. I clearly remember I was sitting on the couch and at this point in my life, Matt, I loved sitting and reading the, the paper, <laughs> the physical paper. It's, a, it's an old habit. I, I deliver newspapers every day of my high school life. And I would always, I'd, so I'd, there's just a, a memory there for me. But so I have this ad in my hand and I, excuse me, I call the dealership and I said, I get this warm, bubbly voice answers the phone, you know, good, good sales voice. And I said, Hey, I'm thinking about coming and uh, buying this truck. And I just, I, it looks to me like if I pay cash, um, I get it for 26,000. But if I take your awesome 0% financing, uh, that free loan, it's, it's 35,000. And she goes, let me go ask the, the sales guy. Like she was excited. She's like, Oh, sweet. We're, we're selling a truck today. And, uh, I'm on hold for a couple minutes. She comes back and she said, yep, that's right. And I said, well, that's not 0% interest. That's like 9,000 in interest. You're charging me all up front. And then there was like five Mississippis of <laughs> utter silence on the other end of the phone. And she goes, Oh, I guess you're right. I was like, okay, cool. That's all I need to know. Have a yeah. great day. And, 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 and these tricks go on all the time. It's like, why, why is a 15 year mortgage rate 
cheaper than a 30-year mortgage rate, Matt. Is it for your benefit or the bank's benefit? Right. They want that money back faster. They want the money back faster because what are they going to do with it? And loan it right back out. They're going to loan it right back out. Why is it that they will refinance your mortgage for you? Uh, they're, they're so eager to do it after three, four, five years. They'll do it for free. They're so kind, Matt. They'll do it for free for you. Well, well the reason is, is because the volume of interest. So in your typical mortgage, let's use a $300,000 mortgage at 5%. Okay. So it's, uh, you know, 1600 bucks roughly. Okay. But over the life of that loan to borrow 300,000, it's 580,000 bucks. So almost double. All right. Well, that's 48 cents of every dollar over the life of the loan goes to someone else in interest. So Matt, if you earned a dollar and you had to pay me 48 cents, do you care what the rate is? No. No, you just care. You have to give me almost half your money that you just earned. So the bank knows that in the first five, six, seven years, it's north of 80 cents of every dollar goes to someone else in interest. So the bank wants you to stay in that volume of interest flowing to them. And, and once you see this, like that's the whole point, like get, get that volume of interest to flow to you. That doesn't mean I'm not going to refinance my home and pull out the cash and go put it to work for me. All right. That's a little more advanced thought, but those are the, the best examples I can think of to drive home the, the volume versus rate and to, to really start paying attention to what's going on around you. Yeah. When you were going down the refinance route, the 80%, I mean, that's why for most folks out there, the first seven years of a loan are the most lucrative for a bank. And really those, that's why they hit you with the three to five years of trying to refinance it because they're trying to reestablish that position in the loan. And I, I'm glad you said uh, that doesn't mean you wouldn't refinance, right? There are definitely certain situations where you can refinance. Maybe you could take a little cash out, put it somewhere else and arbitrage the difference and things like that. Um, but I wanted to talk through, um, term versus whole life. So for okay. most of the folks that are listening, they understand that when we're talking infant banking, there's a couple stipulations. First of all, it has to be with a, uh, mass mutual company or a mutual company, not mass mutual specifically, but a mutually owned company versus a stock portfolio company it has to be a whole life written policy that has high cash value. So it's a specially designed policy. And you'll want to work with people like Nick, not just your local insurance agent salesperson that maybe has never even heard of this concept. But the, there's a certain person that lives down the street from me here in Nashville that says always buy term and invest the difference versus whole life. I want you to answer that question on why that's not particularly the best case. And then I want to talk through some of that afterwards. Well, when you get the contact information for me at the end of this show, I've got a, a video for you, any of your listeners that want to see it that absolutely napalms the math that's involved in buy term and invest the difference. So the numbers don't lie when you, when you dig that back. But let me ask you something, Matt. If you really finance everything you buy, what problem do you want to solve in your life? Do you, do you want to solve the problem for the need of death benefit? Or do you want to solve the problem of your need for finance? Probably for that's finance. What, that's right. It's not even close. Okay. So how does term insurance help me solve that problem? It doesn't. It doesn't. It, it's a, it's a one trick pony, right? And term has a place in this world. Young guys with kids, um, until recently, I had a, a large term policy that was convertible to whole life that I expanded my banking system with. It, and when people can't 
put enough into their banking system to start off to get the death benefit that their family needs, then, then term has a place without a shadow of a doubt, but it's for a short term. Okay. Um, whole life. We're not, we're not doing this for death benefit. Okay. We're doing this to solve a problem, which is our need for finance. I can't do that with term insurance period. Um, to, to say like, Matt, the whole life, it's actually priced the exact same way as term insurance is. It's a complete misnomer to think otherwise. Okay. So you're 35 years old. So it, a whole life policy goes for 85 years for you. So you're 121, right? So it's just priced the same way, but we get equity in it. And we use that equity, just like you could use equity in a, in a real estate, a piece of real estate to, to borrow against. My money never leaves, right? They just place a lien on my money. And then I get to go use the insurance company's money, OPM, right? To go take down that deal. I can't do that with terms. So uh, frankly, that financial entertainer down the road, um, I appreciate, I, I've, been to, I've been to his seminar before, you know, over a decade ago. I appreciate the, his core principles, uh, the first couple steps. But honestly, his math is so misguided after the first couple steps. Um, he can't change his mantra. He can't admit that he's wrong. Um, it works for a lower, probably income person. But um, Matt, if you earn $100,000 a year, is that a common or an uncommon amount of money? That's uncommon. It's uncommon. So if you were earning that type of money and north of that, would you want to do common things with your money? That's a good way to, good way to put it. So uh, if, we, if I want to be uncommon, then I have to do the uncommon strategies and buy term invest the difference is simply for the herd. Yeah. I, so I want to talk a little bit. So term is like renting an apartment. Whole life sure. is like owning a house. This concept that you can borrow when your house appreciates from 300 to 500,000, you now have $200,000 worth of equity. You can go borrow yeah. against. That's what we're doing in a whole life policy. That doesn't mean that the bank's going to chop off the roof and say, all right, we're going to hold this as collateral. No, you're, you're <laughs> right. using that as the asset, the entire thing as an asset, not a portion of it. And that's right. the difference between whole life is your cash still sits there. The insurance company says, hey, I see that you have cash in there. I'm going to let you borrow against that, not borrow your own money out of it, borrow against it. But really, when we go through this term in whole life, I agree. I've seen some of the numbers around like buy term and invest the difference. And let me be clear. I do own term today. I own a million dollars of term for like 15 bucks a month. And that was meant because I had a sister with mental disabilities that was going to take care of her if I ever passed from this earth kind of thing. So it has this place. But I sure. think it really gets down to how people get compensated. And more and more, I learn about the insurance. No one's doing it for free. People do have to make money. It just seems like the incentives are more there to sell term policies versus whole life. Can you coach me on that? Is, am I looking at that right? Maybe shed some light on that. Yeah. I mean, you said it earlier. This is not like you don't call your your friendly state farm agent to 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 do this. So if you wanted, if you wanted to be a great golfer, do you want Tiger Woods swing or Tiger Woods clubs? Yep. His swing. Yeah. You want the swing, right? So you gotta, you gotta get hooked up with the right coach to get the swing. Right. So 99% of, of life insurance agents, they have no idea what it looks like to take a loan from a policy. Right. 
if you and I were going to start an insurance company, Matt, we would start and we would only sell term insurance and we would we would want to sell universal life as well because they're really, really profitable for the company, right? So less than 1% of 1% of term policies ever pay out. It's not that they won't pay if there's a death claim. It's that they have actuarial science on their side, right? It, it's not that the agents are misguided or the financial babysitters are, are trying to rip you off by selling you term. They just have no idea how to use this tool. They don't know anything about that you finance everything you buy. They can sit there and head bob with me as I'm talking to my financial advisor buddy, but they still think that putting money in your good growth stock mutual funds the best thing. They think that deferring taxes to later when taxes are on sale right now is a good idea. Now, term insurance, it's not, it is a quick buck, okay? You sell a $1,000 term policy and it's going to pay the agency probably 90% of that just on a cheap banner or Transamerica life insurance policy. It's not that it's a bad thing. That's just how it works, right? But it doesn't solve the problem. Um, and, and so your average life insurance agent, it's just not what they do, right? That's yeah. why it's important to find people that are actually trained in coaching you how to be your own banker. You, you can do the process of banking with a shoebox full of money, right? With your checking account, a CD. Nelson even does an example in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker. Uh, we call it the, the, C, the, the IBC sisters. And this, so you got a CD sister and an IBC sister, and he just compares the two, all right? It just so happens that the most ideal platform is this very specifically designed dividend paying whole life product. Yep. Yep. So we, we've kind of talked a little bit about some of the differences between term and whole life and how you can borrow against the policy, not borrow your own cash, but borrow against the cash value. I want to switch gears now and talk about the tax uh, mm -hmm. implications of doing this, but also this idea of like eternal cash flow versus retirement. Because I think when done correctly, a good infinite banking policy can be a retirement strategy as much as it can be a wealth accelerator. So I don't know if you want to hit one of those first, but maybe yeah. we'll start with tax because you said taxes are on sale now, which I completely agree with, um, or retirement, but maybe we'll start with the tax question. What, what is being invisible tax, being tax invisible mean? Tax invisible means that I don't have to file a tax return. So Let's there's a there's a book called Tax Invisible, which any of your listeners schedule a 20 minute call with me just to have a discussion about this. I'll, I'll send you a free copy of it because uh, you can't buy it in stores. Um, but it starts off. It says a, a, a Silicon Valley, uh, very wealthy guy put 10 million dollars a year into his life insurance contract for 10 years. OK, so he puts in one hundred million dollars at the end of the 10 years. He's got about one hundred and forty million dollars. OK. So we put post-tax dollars into the, to the life insurance contract, and now it grows tax-free till the day I die, okay? If, if you were to withdraw it all 20 years later, of course, you're going to pay tax on everything above your basis, okay? And I'm not giving tax or legal advice here. I'm just explaining uh, how this looks and what my CPA agrees with. But let's just say after 10 years, this guy's got $140 million in there, and he says, you know what? I need $5 million a year to live. And he borrows $5 million a year to go live on, okay? He borrows money from a financial institution because that's all the life insurance companies are. If he borrows $5 million a year and that's his only income, Matt, I know you're not a CPA, but is he filing a tax return? No, because it's borrowed money, not income. That's right. He's now tax invisible. Yeah. And that's, how you do, that's how you do that. That's extremely powerful. And that's, that's why I think, 
adding this as a portion of your wealth acceleration uh plan is important, but also from your retirement perspective. And I'm thinking about like, I'm just stuffing cash into these policies today. And eventually I can borrow against that policy, never have to pay it back. And if I die, when I die, sorry, not if the (laughs) insurance company is just going to say, Hey, Matt, you owe me $5,000. Your death benefit is $10,000. We're only paying a death benefit now of $5,000 to whomever that uh, beneficiary is. So I, I would actually challenge something is the word retirement is not in the Bible. It's a scarcity thought and, and people really have to, Nelson told us to rethink our thinking. It's not just about money. It's about life, right? Like how do we create everything we want to create in this world and have the biggest impact on our surroundings that we can possibly have? Um, emotion's a law of God. Okay. If air doesn't flow through your lungs, you die. If water doesn't flow, it becomes stagnant and it's poisonous. And if money doesn't flow, it's dead. The banks understand that, right? So this whole buy, you know, to the buy term invest a difference, you know, that's just ludicrous. You know, it doesn't, that's not real money in motion. But if I do what the banks are doing, putting that money into this tax shelter, okay, because that's what the the life insurance contract is. This this life insurance co- company has hundreds of years of actuarial data, okay? And then I get to go borrow it to increase my cash flow because I'm gonna go buy tax advantageous assets, right? So real estate, even if, so let's go back to that deal in 2004. Matt, I don't know if I ever put a dollar in my pocket from that deal, okay? Long ago, those brain cells died (laughs) from when when that, that deal left. But I think I owned it for about eight years but I got a boatload of tax benefit from that because Robert Kiyosaki did a great job of explaining the, the cash flow quadrant. And for your listeners that don't know this, I've got a video I can send you that explains it. But what we're trying to do is be on the right side of this quadrant because on the left side, you've got the employees and the small business owners. And on the right side, you have big business owners and investors. Well, the government, you're partnering with the government on the right side of that. Owning a big business, you're providing jobs. And on the, in the bottom right quadrant, the investor portion typically is real estate investors. You're solving a problem for the government by providing housing. Okay. So the government gives you tax breaks on that. So we need to do things that provide us tax benefits. And so that's where real estate is so great. When you get it, the first time you get a K1 statement, there's a big negative number on it. Let me just tell you, that's a great day, right? You've yep. gotten them, right? That changes your account and goes, oh, I love this. Yep. Yep. I'm glad you mentioned the cash flow quadrant. It's by far my favorite one of his books. And I think one of the most underrated financial books out there. Um, sure. So I, this is a fantastic conversation. I want to keep going down this rabbit hole, but I want to be cognizant of your time. So I'm going to switch us now to the uh, five toppings here. Our first okay. topping is what is your favorite book or what is a book that you've read recently that's giving you a paradigm shift? Uh, the Gap and the Gain is probably one of my favorite books that I've read recently. I'm a big Dan Sullivan fan anyway, but he and Benjamin Hardy have done a. I have reason to believe that there's two more books coming out from those two guys, and I'm looking forward to reading. But The Gap and the Gain, talk about um, real short for your listeners. The Gap is living about where you're not. Okay, It's looking at that horizon, your vision, and, and, and kind of boohooing that you're not there yet. But The the gain mentality is, hey, look where I came from. 
You know, like I used to fly a 747 around the world and made a small six figure income, but we've blown that out of the water now. Now I sleep in my own bed every day and, and have 10 X my income. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a good way to, to look at it. Not, Oh, I don't have a thousand doors yet. You know, that would be ludicrous. Yeah. I'm smiling because who, not how, and the gap to the gain are the two books that my coach keeps forcing down on me because he's like, (laughs) you don't realize how much you've accomplished in the past year with the gap in the gain and the who, not how I did read that last year. And that has changed my perspective on how I view what I'm trying to accomplish in my life. Not how am I going to do it? Who's going to help me do it? Which is a huge mind change. Yeah. Um, Our second topping here is that I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the things that you do every single day and the habits that you have. What are some of the things that you do every single day? Yeah, I'm pretty dedicated. So my wife and I did uh, 75 hard back in the fall, which uh, just go to 75 hard.com, I think is what it is. And and you'll see, but um, I'd really gotten lazy with reading and uh, that got me back on track of reading 10 pages a day. And, um, so it's that and uh, taking care of my body, taking care of my mind so that I'm ready to show up and and serve people. So it's that it's uh, I use a bullet journal. I live with my bullet journal and I start the day with, uh, my devotion. And then, uh, it's writing down all the things I'm grateful for. And another Dan Sullivan hat tip is at the end of the day, what do we do? I text my, my best friend, the three wins from the day and the three wins for tomorrow. Love it. Love it. Uh, 10 pages a day knocks out a 300 page book every month, which is 12 books a year. And you would be shocked if you did that for five years, how much further you'd be in life. So I like that little small tidbit there. Um, Our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, (laughs) uh, It's rule six and rule six is don't take yourself too seriously. Where's that from? Um, I don't recall. Okay. I thought that was, I I thought you were going wedding crashers on us there. (laughs) Um, I don't recall where that's from. There's a lot of great uh, pieces of advice I've learned, but uh, at the end of the day, when you're leading people um, and I'm fortunate to be in a position of leadership with, with quite a few people. And and frankly, it's my, my home, my wife and my four kids. And, and that is just don't take yourself too seriously. Yep. Yep. Um, our fourth one is what's the thing that you're most proud of in your life? We've taken a lot of shots, right? Like we just don't quit. I'm tenacious to a fault. Just last year, my wife and I had a lot of reason to play the victim. And, um, we persevered through some pretty serious adversity last year, things that were really of no fault of our own. They just happened. And, um, we wound up having a record year because we would not quit. And so that's it show up every day. That's awesome. Grit is more important than talent. So I, uh, I I can get aligned to that. Um, (laughs) our last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? And why, man, I'm, this is going to be a little bit of a Homer, uh, uh, comment, but uh, Muhammad Ali, um, Muhammad Ali was a radicals radical. He was, he, he moved with conviction and while I never would have liked him today. Like that brash sports figure does not resonate with me. Um, But he did the uncommon and I'm very attracted to the uncommon. You know, so if I could sit down, I I got to meet him a couple of times, but I didn't get to have a bowl of ice cream with him. So 
Yeah, I, um, I've never heard that answer on the show before. So I like that answer. And I just appreciate people that at the height of their power, like he was taking a stand for what they truly believe in. And because of that, they lose their power, they lose their height, they lose where they're at in their life. And then to come back and just build it all again, right? Like people don't give Muhammad Ali credit enough that when you're standing at the top of your profession yeah. and what you've worked for your entire life, just, I, I am a huge Dave Chappelle fan. It's very similar yeah. just to say, you know what? I don't believe in this and I'm going to walk away if, if this is the way you guys want things done. So I really appreciate that answer. Yeah. Hey, Matt, I want to share one thing with, with you and the listeners. So I, I'm fortunate enough to be friends with the author of the 12 week year and his wife is my business coach. And um, in the 12 week year is a great quote that, that touches on what you were just saying. If you have a vision that you are unwilling to abandon in the face of discomfort, you will become what you are capable of becoming. And, and that's what, you know, Muhammad Ali had a vision. Um, he got very uncomfortable. We get nowhere where we, we get nowhere, frankly, if we stay comfortable. And it's like that first real estate deal. What's the best piece of advice a real estate investor could give to a, someone trying to start is do a deal, right? Get uncomfortable, grow. Because frankly, everything that we want in life is on the other side of fear. And yep. we just have to overcome that to have the courage to do that. Yep. Well, Nick, fantastic conversation. I love your broad band of experience from how you use infinite banking to real estate to some of the small businesses that you own and things like that. If our listeners wanted to get in touch with you and learn more about you, where's the best place we could send them? Yeah, just go to createtailwind.com. Um, click on the contact uh, me button up at the top, uh, toss my name in there. I'd be happy to send you the, uh, the buy term invest the difference uh, video. There's, we've got some great videos that show, Hey, what's it look like to do a real estate investment uh, with your infinite banking system? Um, we have a no hassle guarantee. So if, if any of your listeners uh, reach out to us, uh, just uh, you have my word that we will not, uh, will not hassle you. Sounds good. Well, Nick, I appreciate the time and uh, thank you so much for the great conversation here. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate, appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.